Hello and welcome, my faithful and loyal readers and listeners. Welcome to another segment of our daily devotional. If I remember, we had divided our daily devotional into two distinct segments. We have our verse of the day segment. We have our through the Bible in one year segment. <coughs> so our verse of the day for May the 19th comes from Revelation chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. But before we get into that, we've got to understand some context of it. So here's what that verse, here's what it says. It says, Whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, <coughs> our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So, Revelation chapter 4 is really the beginning of John's prophetic vision. So in Revelation chapter 4, John is allowed to see a vision of the heavenly throne room. <coughs> we see John's description of what he saw in this vision of this heavenly throne room. The first eight verses of Revelation chapter 4, which say this, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. The voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you must mu what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty-four elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in, in, front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings, and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, and is, and is to come. So John sees four things in the heavenly throne room. The first is he sees a throne in heaven. So the one that is seated on this throne is God the Father. And John is deeply and acutely aware of God's presence. Yet John does not attempt to describe God directly. For 
gotten great, great words and is beyond description. <coughs> so since God lives in unapproachable like that's first Timothy six sixteen, John can only speak of a diamond like brilliance and a fiery presence. So the stone that is described with this cornelian or ruby, right? Is has was a brilliant red precious stone symbolizing God's redemption. So that's the first thing John sees in this heavenly throne room. The second thing he sees are twenty-four elders seated on twenty-four thrones. So some believe these elders represent the entire church or the company of believers in heaven. Others believe they may be ruling angels. However, we should note that there are angels who stand around these elders. <coughs> also, they, the crowns they wear are victor's crowns, the kind that are prepared for believers, not angels. Still, others believe that all the elders represent Old Testament Israel, which would be 12 tribes, and the New Testament churches would be 12 apostles of Christ, joined in worship to God and Jesus Christ. So in this case, the 24 elders would symbolize or represent God's entire church, both Old and New Testament, because Christ's personal sacrifice secured the redemption of God's people of all times. But regardless of your view of the 24 elders, it is important to remember they are real individuals who talk with John in both Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, and chapter 17, verse 13. So the third thing we see are the seven lamps. So the seven lamps represent the seven spirits of God, which in turn represent the presence of the Holy Spirit at God's throne. So the language here may come from the sevenfold or seven aspect expression of the spirit that you see in Isaiah eleven twelve. So the number seven represents the fullness and completeness of the spirit and his work. So the Holy Spirit is like a burning fire filled with judgment against sin and God and with God's purity. So the fourth and final thing that John sees in this heavenly throne room are four living creatures. So these four creatures and their faces probably represent the entire living creation. So all of God's living creatures will bring glory and honor to him and eventually will be liberated from the curse of sin. So the description of these creatures somewhat resembles the cherubs that are seen in Ezekiel for, uh, chapter 1 verses 5 through 14. Except in Ezekiel all the beings look the same. So the creatures have six wings, like the seraphs described by Isaiah in Isaiah 6 1 through 2, symbolizing both humility and swiftness. Note that these are presented as real, rational beings, not just symbols. So they, their eyes reflect extreme intelligence, alertness, and awareness.
and some what is going on around them, but more importantly, these four living creatures are engaged in the act of worshiping God, and they seem to be the ones who initiate the worshiping of God. And so now we can finally come to our actual verse of the day, which is those last three verses. <coughs> which say whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So in these last three verses of Revelation chapter 4, we see the worship that is going on around God's throne intensifies when the elders fall on their faces and lay down their crowns as they acclaim their worthy, as they acclaim the worthiness of God. The elders recognize that whatever authority their crowns may have afforded them pales in comparison to that of the sovereign creator, God, who granted them that authority. These crowns become offerings in worship when the elders lay them at the foot of God's throne as they declare his worthiness to receive glory, honor, and power. Their doxology also includes the reason God is worthy of worship. He created all things, and the only reason anything exists is because God willed it. And so the Bible readings for today are 1 Samuel 24-25, John 10, 22-42, Psalm 116, 1-19, and Proverbs 15, 20-20. One. So that concludes our verse of the day segment for May the 18th. It is now time to move into or through the Bible in or May 19th, excuse me. It's now time to move into or through the Bible in one year segment for May the 19th, which will be 139 of that particular installment, and so we are in the middle of going about ready to finish John chapter 7. So we're going to be in verses 37 through 52 today. So what we saw yesterday were the events that occurred in the middle of the Festival of Tabernacles, and today we're going to see the events that surround the ending of the Festival of Tabernacles. So again, we will see various different reactions to Jesus and his message with some believing that he is the Messiah, and with others choosing not to believe that he is the Messiah. So with that, we're going to pick up <coughs> in verse 37 and go through verse 39, which says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, 
whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So the largest crowds were on the, day, on the final day of the festival. So the events of the final day are described in this section. So the festival included a famous water-pouring ceremony that served to remind the people of God's goodness in providing rain for the crops the previous year, water to drink during their ancestors' wilderness wanderings, and hopeful water to be poured out during the Messianic Age. Jesus fulfilled what the Festival of Tabernacles anticipated. The signs of the crowds made it necessary for Jesus to cry out in order to be heard. He promised that those who were thirsty and came to him to drink, in other words, those who believed in him, would have their thirst for true life satisfied. John explains that this living water is the Holy Spirit, and that Jesus' death, resurrection, and exaltation were the prelude to the Spirit's coming. So now we can go to the very end. <coughs> I'm going to start in verse 40 and go to verse 52. So on hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said he is the Messiah. Still others asked, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees, who asked them, Why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers or, or, or have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him? To find out what he has been doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it, you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. So once again, we see that the crowd was divided over Jesus' identity. Some thought he was the Moses-like prophet. Others wondered if he was the Messiah. Still others rejected this idea because he came from Galilee. So in verse 45, we see John shift the narration from the response of the crowds, and he returns to the meeting of the religious leaders. So John had built suspense earlier by describing the dispatching of the temple guards, right? So that would, uh, be in verse 32, which says, uh, Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. And we don't see anything about the temple guards until now. So here he describes the outcome. So the guards had heard Jesus speak and were moved by his teaching. So the 
This religious leadership was furious and pointed out that only ignorant crowds have believed. They decided what they call the temple guards ignorant. Nicodemus, however, suggested that the leadership had not heard Jesus out. <coughs> and again, the leadership's response was swift and harsh because they basically accused him of being ignorant just like the guards were ignorant, just like the crowds were ignorant. So now let's turn our attention to a more detailed look at verses 38 and 39, which are the verses that say, Whoever believes in me, as scripture says, has rivers of living, as that rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he went the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, <coughs> since Jesus had not been glorified. So in verse 38, Jesus referred to the scripture which is God's written word because it was the very word of his Father, the supreme authority for his life and his teaching. And scripture is also the highest and final authority those of us who are followers <coughs> of Christ, because God alone has the right to determine our standard of conduct. God has chosen to exercise his authority by making his truth known in Scripture. The Bible is God's personal revelation carries the same authority as if God were speaking to us directly. So what does this mean for those of us who are followers of Christ? It means two very important things. Number one, the inspired or God-breathed or Holy Spirit-directed scriptures are your highest authority as a follower of Christ. Church traditions, prophecies, revelations, spiritual beliefs, and, uh, and any other human ideas must be evaluated by how they compare to the commands and standards of God's word. These things should never be elevated to a place of equal authority with the Bible. That's the first thing. The second thing is those who are loyal to the authority of anyone or anything above God and His Word deny true biblical faith and will reject the Lordship of Christ, or in other words, His leadership over their lives. To say that any person, institution, church, or statement of belief has equal or higher authority than God's inspired revelation is the same as idolatry. Which is worshiping, <coughs> which is worshiping false gods or anything else in the place of the one true God. This means that all those who are not willing to submit their beliefs to the authority of God's word, which is the whole Bible, are rejecting God's plan of salvation and rejecting their opportunity to have a personal relationship with God. So when Jesus used the phrase "streams of living water" in verse 38. He was referring to the gift of the Holy Spirit that would be given to his followers after he left the earth. So the Spirit guides and empowers us as followers of Christ in a way that allows us to experience his overflowing life. 
And as we as followers of Christ respond to the Spirit's direction and exercise His power, this living water will flow out to others with the spiritually healing, life-giving message of Jesus Christ. And so now we come to verse 39, which says, By this he went the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So what this verse is referring to is to the glory and honor Jesus would gain by dying on the cross for our sins and being raised from the dead. Jesus had to complete his work on earth before the Holy Spirit could begin his work in the church. This is also true in individual lives today. One cannot receive the Spirit until one deals with sin, meaning until your sin has been confessed to Christ, forgiven, and abandoned. So the Spirit refers to all of the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those of us who are followers of Christ, including spiritual birth and renewal, and the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we will pick up from here tomorrow when we see this great scene of Jesus and the woman caught in the act of adultery, which is how John chapter 7 really actually ends and John chapter 8 begins. And so the Bible readings that you got to read to get caught up to that point in time are First Samuel 26 to 28, John 11, 1 through 54, Psalm 117, and Proverbs 15, 22 through 23.